Well, would you remain standing with me as we return now to the book of John? Each gospel has a particular purpose, and John tells us, he writes, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. So far, Jesus has performed many signs that we might believe in him, but now Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and his claim to be God is uh, being rejected. And so this morning we come to a pivotal moment. We're reading actually John's record of Jesus' very last and final public sermon that took place at some point during this feast. John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word. Amen. Well, I spent a lot of time um, studying this passage this week, trying to figure out what it is that John is doing with this passage and why it occurs at this point, until I finally realized that Jesus is here summarizing what he's been teaching in the first half of the book of John. And it stands as Jesus' final public sermon, his final appeal to the people of Jerusalem to listen to what he's saying. And to do that, he's summarizing all that he has said so far in four simple ways. And so we're going to go through each of those, and then we're going to apply them to how we can put into practice, to hear what Jesus is saying, put into practice that in this new year of 2019. So our focus will be especially as we look forward to the new year of 2019 and listen to this final public sermon of Jesus's. Four ways... Jesus is summarizing what he's saying to make an appeal to the people of Jerusalem to receive life and for us also to do so as we look forward to this new year 2019. Here are the four ways. First, faith. Faith. Look at verses 44 to 45 with me, if you will. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me Seize him who sent me. Now we must not miss what a momentous moment this is. And John emphasizes that by telling us that Jesus cried out. The word for cried out in its original sense came from the croaking, squawking sound of a raven. And from that, the word then came to mean to shriek to scream, to cry aloud, to speak with a loud voice. So Jesus here, John is telling us, is shouting. He is bellowing, 
He's in a public place, probably the temple. There's a big crowd. He wants everyone to hear this final message, and he fills his lungs and shouts, he bellows. Everyone must hear that whoever believes in him believes in God who sent him, and whoever sees him sees God who sent him. Why is this so important? Well, because, you see, at the heart of the Christian faith is the faith that Jesus is God. And that means that when we want to know what God is like, where do we look? We look at Jesus. And it means that if someone says they believe in God but do not follow Jesus, then Christians would say they're not believing in the one true God. Why? Because for whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And yet, of course, in uh, our day and age, this is uh, very controversial, as, of course, it was also in Jesus' time. We have slightly different questions than the questions the Jerusalem elite had. Our question is like this. What about other religions? Or is it not arrogant to claim that when you see Jesus, you see what God is like? And perhaps even more arrogant to say that if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God. What can we say to that when we come across those questions in 2019 from our family or from our friends or our work colleagues or perhaps you yourself have those questions? Well, here I'm going to list four statements that are very commonly made today in this regard about the faith that Jesus is God. You would have heard them yourself and then suggest to you some ways uh, to respond to those statements. Here are the four statements. Statement number one, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. You must have heard people say that. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, but does it matter what you believe about your bank account? Does it matter what you believe about your health? Or even more seriously, did what the Twin Tower terrorists believe about God not matter? Now, you cannot escape making some kind of judgment cause to what is true in philosophy or religion. In the same way, you cannot escape making some kind of judgment call about what is true and what you'll believe about the practical matters of life too. Here's the second statement. Believing that Jesus is the only way to God is intolerant. That is not tolerant. But did you know that actually tolerance emerged from the Christian worldview of people like John Locke and uh, Pastor Roger Williams and others? Christians, you see, love their neighbors because Jesus, who they believe is God, tells them to love their neighbors of whatever faith those neighbors may be. And tolerance, real tolerance, is the love to tolerate what someone else believes, even if it is different from what you believe, that love that Jesus gives us. Here's the third statement, very commonly heard. Jesus was just a great moral teacher, and therefore I cannot believe that he was God. Jesus was just a great moral teacher. Perhaps the best answer to that comes from C.S. Lewis. I'm just going to quote it to you. C.S. Lewis famously argued this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, 
or else he'll be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Well, here's the fourth statement. Again, very commonly said, the Bible is full of errors and historical inaccuracies, and therefore I cannot believe that Jesus said this, and therefore I cannot believe that Jesus is God. But no, actually the evidence of the Bible is stronger than ever today. I've written a brief summary paper on the reliability of the New Testament, which is available online. F.F. Bruce's famous book, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable?, is still a brilliant read. And there is good recent research being done by people like Peter Williams and Simon Gathercole from Cambridge University that you can also look up online, not to mention the expertise of our own professors uh, like Dan Block and Doug Moo and others. This is what Jesus really said. So first then, as Jesus summarizes what he's been teaching, is faith. For of course, to put into practice what we believe this next year, we too need to really believe what we say we believe. And when we're believing in Jesus, we are, Jesus says, believing in God. When you look at Jesus, he's saying, when you look at me, you're looking at God. So first, faith. Second, light. Look with me down at verse 46. Jesus says this, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, as I say, this is the last time when Jesus is preaching in the Gospel of John, and this is also the last occasion in John's Gospel when Jesus will say he is light. He said it many times before, but not again. This is his final public sermon, and the light is shining one more time. Jesus then, he says, he is light. I've come into the world as light. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is light? Jesus is light in the sense that he shows us the way to be saved. He's a guide to how to be saved. Jesus is light in the sense that he shows us that we need to be saved. He shines light on uncomfortable areas of our life to expose the fact that we need his rescuing. Jesus is light in the sense that he shows us how to have joyful life to the full. His light continues through the Christian life, showing us the right path to follow to have joyful life to the full. And he shines in the darkness and calls us to come out of our darkness and walk in the light. Now, what does it mean then to walk in the light? Well, John himself, the author of John's Gospel, applied this teaching about light in this way, walking in the light, in his first letter. So John wrote this. This, he says, is the message we have heard from him, that is Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, John continues, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? John continues, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a lie, and his word is not in us. So, 
According to John, the author of the gospel, reflecting on Jesus' teaching here about light and elsewhere, to walk in the light as Christians uh, is to confess our sins to God and practice a lifestyle of holiness as Jesus taught us. Now, we've just finished a series on holiness that is now available online or by podcast for you to download or stream so that you can learn more about how to be holy. But this morning, I'm just going to give you three simple steps to making 2019 the year when you walk in the light. Here they are. Step one, ask for Jesus' help. Ask for Jesus' help, to shine his light, ask for his help. I cannot tell you the number of times someone has talked to me about some struggle in their life and then I find out they have not actually directly asked Jesus for help. And I think the reason for that, I'm afraid, is that sometimes you and I, deep down, don't really want to change. But if we ask Jesus directly, simply, with a pure heart for help, he will answer that prayer in faith. So often is this taught in the Scriptures. The lesson of the Old Testament kings is clear over and over again. Those who humble themselves and cry out to God and ask for help, those kings receive help. Christian, if you are struggling in some area in your life in which you wish to walk in the light, then first of all, step one, ask Jesus to help you. Simple as that. Step two, make a plan. It's sometimes said you need to plan your work and then work your plan. Similarly, if you want to walk in the light, you need to plan to walk in the light. For instance, are you struggling to find time to read the Bible and pray? Well, make a plan. Set aside a specific time in the day to read the Bible and pray. Rearrange other parts of your schedule. If you're serious about doing it, plan to do it. Or are you struggling with purity? Again, Make a plan. Go to the Compass Group that was founded by one of our church members. Download accountability software like Covenant Eyes. And then step three, having asked Jesus for help, made a plan, then fill the rooms of your life with lights. So if you want to walk in the lights, you need to have the light shining all around you. In other words, read Christian books, watch TV programs that edify you, listen to Christian music that lifts you, avoid gossip and nasty speech, listen to podcasts of biblical preaching when you work out to get as much light as you can streaming into your life so to have life to the full this 2019 new year we need not only the faith, we also need the light and then third the Word. Look down with me, verses 47 to 48. Jesus carries on in this last public sermon of his where he's summarizing what he's been teaching. He says this, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The Word that I have spoken him on the last day obvious in the English translation, but in the original, there may be a play on words about the word. One paraphrase called the message put it like this, the word, the word made flesh that I have spoken and that I am, that word and no other is the last word. That's how the message paraphrased what Jesus is saying here. In other words, Jesus is saying that the words that he speaks 
and that we read about in John's gospel express the word, or in Greek, the logos, or what the message called the word made flesh, which is Jesus himself. You say, what does that mean? Well, what that means is we should not separate what Jesus says from what the Bible says, as so often people tend to do. Jesus' words express the word. The Bible teaches what Jesus speaks, and therefore it means if we're to not just hear Jesus' words but also keep them, we need to follow what the Bible says. For while Jesus came to save the world, not judge it, there is a judgment to come on the last day, and we will be judged by how we respond to the word that Jesus has spoken and that he is and that is now in front of us in Scripture. So how then do we not only hear the words that Jesus speaks in the Bible, but keep them and put them into practice this 2019? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that in the last year or so, for I think it is extremely important that the church at large again learns to take the Bible at the heart of the Christian life and the heart of the church. And I've written a book about that called How the Bible Can Change Your Life. But today, I want to give you three simple practical habits for 2019. Here they are, habit number one. Make a list of what you already know but are perhaps not yet doing. It's so easy, isn't it? A place like College Church, where there's Bible teaching all over the place, for our knowledge to run ahead of our actual practice. And of course, that's a dangerous place to live. So would you then make a list of what you already know but perhaps you're not yet practicing in order, of course, to then put those things into practice? Habit number two, ask Jesus to speak to you before you read the Bible. Sounds simple, often not done. The Bible is not just a book of theory. It is a living word. And when you come to read the Bible, you're asking Jesus to speak to you there and then. Lord Jesus, what do you have to say to me? Lord, what is the word from heaven for me now as you crack open the Bible as you read the Scriptures? Ask Jesus to speak to you. Habit number three. But it is not merely sort of uh, pious and mystical. You do need a structure, a method. So use habit number three. Use a good method. There are many out there that you can learn from. The Charles Simeon Trust has online courses that can help you with that if you're a preacher or a teacher. And we're hosting one of their courses again in the spring of 2019 at College Church. You might like to come to that if you are giving your life to preaching or teaching. But similarly, there's Leadership Resources International or Training Leaders International have courses or online training in which you can participate. So don't just accept the abilities you already have to understand the Bible. Level up. Go to the next level and learn from good methods how to study scriptures. So how do we have life to the full this new year, 2019? As we listen to Jesus' final public sermon, we learn from him it is through faith through lights, through the Word, and then finally, life, life itself. Look at verses 49 to 50. I love this, what, how Jesus brings this out. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. 
Now there's a lot here in this passage that perhaps we're not familiar with reading about. For instance, we're used to the Bible saying that Jesus is God. We're less familiar with the Bible teaching that Jesus was sent by God the Father. And the Father gave Jesus a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. But biblically, it is both true that, as Jesus said earlier in verse 45, whoever sees Jesus has seen God, that is true, and it is also true that God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus submits to God the Father, and yet he is equal with him. And so, of course, out of reverence for Christ, Christians learn to submit to one another, not thereby diminishing or lowering or devaluing our personal identity or value, but furthering Christ's loving community as a reflection of the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Christ's submission to the Father. Jesus then submits to the sending mission of God the Father to say what he has commanded to speak, which commandment, I love this, it is beautiful, which commandment is eternal life. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, let's try and figure it out. Scholar Leah Morris commented this, the commandment does not simply speak of life eternal, nor is it just the case that keeping it leads to life eternal. The commandment is eternal life. Now, what does this mean? Here we find Jesus at his simplest and also uh, at his deepest. At the simple level, that the commandment is eternal life just means that the way food is life, so similarly is Jesus' word. Uh, For instance, a starving man looks at a piece of bread as life to him. A person who was dying of thirst would see a glass of water and say, that is life. And to follow God's commandment, for those of us who have hungry souls, it's to follow God's commandment is to feed on the food of eternal life, the life that starts now and continues forever in relationship with Christ. Psalm 19 put it like this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So at a simple level, that the commandment is eternal life means Feed on God's word and you experience this honey, this food, this life. But there is a deeper level. And at a deeper level, that the commandment is eternal life is explaining why feeding on Jesus' commandment gives life. Because Jesus is himself life. In him, John said at the start of this gospel, is life. Because Jesus is the word, the commandments, the speaking, the saying of God. Because Jesus is sent and commanded by God the Father to enter this world, to give life. Because, in summary, the commandment is life. That is why, if we believe in Jesus and keep his word, We experience this life for the commandment is life. The word is life. Jesus himself is 
life. And therefore, we are connected to life. The commandment is life. Well, then you say, well, how do I experience this life, this 2019? Oh, I have an application for those who are not yet Christians and then also in a moment for those who are already Christians. If you're not yet a Christian, I say this to you. Believe. I say, well, that's a hard thing to do. Well, would you this year at least trust Jesus and his word at least enough to come back on Sundays and see what it is that God is saying to you? Will you take that step? You know, I listened to the testimony of a person who rediscovered his faith recently who did so by simply reading a verse in the Bible where Jesus told him not to worry. And he restored, he found his faith was restored. Perhaps that is for you, that it is fear or anxiety that is keeping you from this life. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer, make your requests known to God and he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps it's anxiety that's keeping you from Jesus. Perhaps it's something intellectual. Yes, it is true that atheists like Christopher Hitchens rejected their Christian heritage, but uh, then his own brother, Peter Hitchens, rejected atheism and returned to the Christian faith. It is rarely just something intellectual. Will you trust Jesus enough at least to try him this year by coming to church, reading the Bible, seeking him that you may find him? Or perhaps it is something moral. The great Augustine was converted through simply hearing a little child playing a game in the next door garden to his while he was outside of his house sitting in the garden. He heard a child playing in the garden over the wall, playing some kind of game saying, take and read, take and read, take and read. And Augustine hearing this, took this as a a prompting from God, went back into his house, opened the Bible at random and read where Paul said this. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sleeping around, not in bickering and jealousy, but put on the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify sinful lusts. And Augustine was there, brought back to his faith in Jesus. Well, would you reject drunkenness and lust and put on Christ to experience his life now and forever? Would you listen to this last public preaching of Jesus where he cries out and trusts him before it is too late. After this chapter, those in Jerusalem never heard Jesus preach again. Would you believe now and experience, therefore, life in his name? What about those of us who are already Christians? Well, in that case, I say joyfully worship I know there are many things that we are to do as Christians, but would you take this moment now as we gather in worship to worship, to rejoice that this Jesus came into the world to save the world, that in him you do have life, that his commandments, his words are not burdensome but life-giving. As one great hymn put it, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Would you worship? 
Would you look at this Jesus and realize that he is the God? Would you thank him that he is life? Would you thank him that his word is life? Would you praise him that for those who follow him, their path is no longer a meaningless meandering of a dark alley of death with no points, no purpose in darkness, but now a path that leads to light, and you are on that path, and you have this life, You have meaning and purpose and therefore peace and love and, yes, joy. Would you, in other words, be the opposite of these people in Jerusalem who rejected Jesus and instead when you hear Jesus cry out with a loud voice, respond not with, no, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to worship, I'm not interested, Jesus, this has been too hard a year, I don't want to hear any more from you. Would you not respond that way, but instead respond with worship? Yes, Jesus, I'm yours now and forevermore, and I bow before you in joyful adoration. I'm yours, Jesus. Would you respond this morning in simple worship? And so as we come to the end of this uh, 2018 and we look forward to 2019, we've had these four ways to put into practice the life to the full that Jesus is teaching us in the book of John. Here summarized as faith, light, the word, and life itself. And today is, of course, the day before New Year's Eve, and so it is natural for us to take stock of last year and look ahead to next year. And perhaps you're looking ahead to next year with eager anticipation. Perhaps you're looking ahead to next year with great concern and uncertainty. So in conclusion then, let me give you three simple strategies so that this new year, 2019, you will have this life to the full that Jesus here summarizes and again offers to us. Here they are. First, repent. We should not miss the warning tone of this passage that summarizes what Jesus has been saying so far in the first half of John's gospel, nor its finality. Jesus will never again preach publicly. There is a moment now to turn from your sins and trust in Him. Would you start this new year 2019 by clearing out all those things of which you are ashamed, which you wish you did not do, from which you need to repent, clear those out, put some of those strategies into action about how to walk in the light that I mentioned earlier this morning. Would you turn from those things? Would you repent and seize this opportunity to make a fresh start with God and make 2019 the year where you are fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Second, would you resolve Some of us are the kind of people who love to make New Year's resolutions. Some of us perhaps are not. But this year, would you make a spiritual resolution? For instance, would you resolve to read the Bible each day? Would you resolve to come to church each week? Would you resolve to read a certain number of godly, good Christian books? Would you resolve to to grow in your understanding, and not just your understanding, but your practice in certain areas of your life that you might become more kind or more loving or more gentle or more patient? Would you resolve to give generously to God's work? You know, we still as a church have a huge mountain to climb financially before the start of the year. Would you resolve to give generously 
Would you resolve uh, to change your entertainment habits? Would you resolve to watch less Netflix and read more Bible? What spiritual resolution will you make? Repent, resolve, then third, this strategy to make the most of living life to the full this new year, 2019, third, rejoice. When I first came to Wheaton, which was a little over 10 years ago or so now, people told me various things about Wheaton to prepare me for what I was about to get into. And one of the things I was told was that uh, Wheaton had a lot of type A people. I don't know whether you think that's true or not. I think you probably do. I looked up that uh, wonderful source of all authority, Wikipedia, to find out what it said about type A people. Type A people are, according to Wikipedia, outgoing, ambitious, rigidly organized, impatient, anxious, concerned with time management, high-achieving workaholics. According to Google, they are thought to be susceptible to stress and heart disease. Now, it may well be somewhat simplistic to divide the entire human race into either type A or type B. But if those characteristics are in any way true of some of us, then it is important, and not just important, imperative that in 2019, we don't just repent and resolve, we also rejoice. We rejoice in who Jesus is. We rejoice in what Jesus has done. We rejoice that in Him is indeed life. We have gladness and joy this 2019. Perhaps the words of this last hymn will help you with that. As with gladness men of old, as with joy they hailed its light, So may we with holy joy, pure and free from sin's alloy, all our costliest treasures bring Christ to thee, our heavenly King. As with gladness, as with joy, as in worship, joyful worship. Let's stand together as we come now to sing our last hymn. Um, And uh, I'll pray, and uh, then let us sing. Let us pray together. Lord, we pray that uh, having repented and resolved, you would this morning give us that joy, that joy that is not simply happiness because of our circumstances, which may be good for some of us and not good for others of us, but the joy that is more substantial than that and lasts longer than that, indeed lasts eternally, the joy that comes from the faith, the light, the word, the life. All these things, if we will receive Jesus, are ours. Would you receive him this morning for the first time or again? And so rejoice. In the name of Jesus, amen.